You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. How could one death of one Jew on one cross pay for the sins of all believers for all time? How could that be? Because that one man was not just a man. He was the Lord God dying on the cross. He was the God-man. And as eternal God and as man, he was shedding his blood for the sins of mankind. He's the Lamb of God. His blood is that powerful. Death is certain for everyone. The percentage of people that die is still 100%. The reality is that for all the marvels of modern medicine, we still can't make you live forever. Does that make you think about what happens after death? In today's message, Pastor Tom teaches us that death is the requirement for sin, but Jesus paid that debt. Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man, but in fact, he was God in human flesh. This means that his death was sufficient to pay for your sins and give you eternal life. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Yes, I am trying to convert you. Psychologists regularly give foolish advice. They say, you need to learn to forgive yourself. Listen to me. You cannot forgive yourself because you do not owe yourself a debt. Such a thought is dishonoring to God. It's a lie. You kind of endorsed yourself as a kind of a God, like you made yourself and you owe yourself something. You don't owe yourself anything. You don't even make yourself. You don't even exist except that God keeps you alive. You're his creature. You're his creator. It's not your holy standards that were violated. You owe God the debt. This awesome and glorious God in the heavens, this master of the universe, if you could see him sitting on his throne and realize he knows you and that you have offended him, you'd be so quick to ask for forgiveness. And Jesus is the only one who can provide forgiveness for you. The only one. In Acts 5, 3, when we get there, it'll say, Jesus is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you think that there is a sin that you have committed that God will not forgive you of, please remember the context of what we're studying right here in Acts 2. These people had cried for the crucifixion of their king. They were guilty of the murder of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, through Peter and the apostles, was saying, I am willing to forgive you for executing me on a cross. I really doubt you've done anything that bad. Acts 10.43, of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's a promise. You should never doubt, if you're a believer in Jesus, you should never doubt that he gives forgiveness of sins. You're doubting his love and you're doubting his promise in his word. Why should I be converted to Christianity? When I was going through my conversion that night, it was a no-brainer. God is willing to forgive this fool. No hesitation. Why should I be converted to Christianity? Because I owe God a mountain of debt and I can't pay it myself. 
and you can never repay your sin. You'll have to be in jail forever in the lake of fire and pay every last cent and you'll never be able to pay. You'll never get out ever. There's only one way to escape. All your debts have to be released. And there's only one person who can do it. There's only one person who did it. He went to the cross to pay the debt. How could one death of one Jew on one cross pay for the sins of all believers for all time? How could that be? Because that one man was not just a man. He was the Lord God dying on the cross. He was the God man. And as eternal God and as man, he was shedding his blood for the sins of mankind. He's the lamb of God. His blood is that powerful. His blood is precious. His blood is able to save you. And that's all you need to know. Only through Jesus' shed blood is God willing to accept you. You have no other basis. It doesn't matter if your parents were Christians. It doesn't matter if you've been a deacon. It doesn't matter at all who you are, who you think you are. There's only one basis on which you will be accepted before God. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of that. Think of the ugliness of your life before God and his perfect holiness and Christ wiping it all away. Do you need another reason to become a Christian? Do you need another reason to know the beauty of conversion? Why would the world then resist being converted? Because they're blind. There is no cost to this deal for you except the deal. God said, here's the deal. I take the loss. Your sin is removed. Why would you resist that? What is it you're, you're not hearing when that is said? If you owe $10 million right now and someone said they'd pay it for you, would you turn that down? Are you that much of a fool? You think there's any intellectual quality to taking that position? To pretend you owe no debt is to lie to yourself. In your own conscience, you know you've sinned. To go to somebody else to pay the debt's not going to work. What are they going to do? They have their own sins to pay for. Only the shedding of innocent blood is what God takes. What do you think all those animal sacrifices were supposed to represent for all those years in Israel's history? Hebrews 9.22 makes it crystal clear. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. Muhammad can't do a thing for anybody. Buddha can't do anything. Buddha thinks he'll just meditate his sins away, I guess. He knows now because he's suffering now. There was only one innocent person in the history of mankind, and he laid down his life for you if you accept it. Sean, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. You know what a ransom is? It's a payment, a payment. He gave his life as a payment so we could have everlasting life. It wasn't actually the blood that saved. It was the life in the blood that saved. The blood is the symbol for the life being poured out. The life of the flesh of a human being is where it's in the blood. When the blood is poured out, the life is poured out. And it's the life that was given as payment. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Jesus, 
We have redemption. You know what redemption is? It's being purchased back from slavery. In Jesus, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. Why? Because in the blood is life. And then it says, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Call it debts, call it trespasses, call it sins, iniquity, abomination, wicked, evil, doesn't matter. He forgives it all. For those who have reverence in him. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. That's our God. That's why we sing. That's why we come to church. This is our God. This is what he did for us. Amen? Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find what? Compassion. Compassion. Psalm 32, 1 says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Let me read that again, because I know how it is when you're listening to a sermon. Sometimes you check out how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. It's a blessing. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Beloved, forgiveness is reason enough to convert to Christianity. Thank God for the benefit of conversion. First John 2.12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. God forgave you for Jesus' namesake. He did it because of what Jesus did. He didn't do it so much for you. He did it for his son. His son went to the cross and he said, I'll forgive them for your namesake, Jesus. God could have written us off. He could have said, forget about this bunch. Let me just wipe them out. He would have been fine to do that. He would have been just and holy. But he forgave a massive debt that we have to him. Hallelujah. What a savior. Component number six. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's still in verse 38. I know we're having a hard time getting out of verse 38. And into verse 39. And I think this is just as good. And so there's more blessing, right? Forgiveness of sins and there's more. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be okay? Aren't you satisfied with forgiveness of sins? I don't need anything else. Just let me get into heaven in some little corner. Open the door for people as they go in and out. I don't know. I don't need any more than that. That's good enough. I'm not going to hell. Fine. Fine. No more grace, no more blessing. I don't need one more drop. And then there's the word and. By the way, every word in the Bible is inspired. I like that word and. And you will receive more. What's this? The gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Again, I say forgiveness is good enough. Getting out of eternal debt, I don't need more than that. But then God, because of who he is, the kind of father that he is, he heaps blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. What else you ask? The Holy Spirit is God's gift in the new covenant to every single believer. We talked about this in the first few verses of Acts 2. 
This is the new covenant age, and God has a greater covenant in this age than under the Mosaic law. It's a better covenant. It's even called a better covenant. And he says, what you're going to get is the treasure of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God inside your own body. Acts chapter 2 teaches that every single believer in Jesus, without exception, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, it doesn't matter received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because he came on the day of Pentecost. There wasn't one believer that was left out of that gracious bestowal by God. If you truly were Pentecostal, as some people like to call themselves, there are a lot of Pentecostals in Latin America. If they were truly Pentecostal, they must believe that every believer gets the Holy Spirit. Why? Because on the day of Pentecost, every believer got the Holy Spirit. And here, Peter is promising it to every person that's willing to repent. They also will get the Holy Spirit. Every last one of them. Every time today someone converts to Jesus Christ, they immediately, whether they feel it or not, doesn't matter. They immediately get the gift of the Holy Spirit as their abiding possession. Why? Because the Holy Spirit communicates to you personally and to us collectively as a church and to every local church, the very presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not want to leave his disciples as orphans. He exited and he went into heaven and he promised to send his presence back down into the world. And so in a sense, Christ came through the presence of his spirit to communicate that in a very close, personal and effective way to our own hearts. While we were in Ecuador, another one of the things that Pastor Juan likes to do without telling me, we were driving back home from the equator, and he said, let's go somewhere. I couldn't tell what he was saying. I was in the back seat, and we ended up at an orphanage, a nice Christian orphanage, a beautiful Christian orphanage, and they've taken such care to take care of the littlest ones, and then the toddlers in each room had their rules and how they treated them children that were abandoned at the hospital, children who, whose mother was an addict of some kind where they were still trying to take them off of the cocaine or whatever it was and kind of ease them off of that, children who had been abandoned, and they were showing them the love of Christ and trying to care for them and place them. And it was a beautiful, beautiful operation that they had there. Two of the young ladies that worked at the orphanage were in Pastor Juan's church in Quito. But think about that. We're not orphans. We're not left alone or abandoned by God. Sometimes people feel they are. They believe that God has abandoned them. They look at their circumstances and they believe God has forgotten about them. Otherwise, why would they keep getting sick? Why would they be not have the friends that they want? Why would they not have had a better marriage? Why would they not have a better job? Why would they not have whatever it is that they wish that they had when they were younger? And they feel God has abandoned them. God hasn't abandoned you. God is refining you. God is bringing you to your knees more. God is humbling you. God is molding your faith. God is working inside of you, refining you because he has a plan to use you and he can't because there's too much of you in the equation and he wants more of Jesus in the equation and he's working on you and refining you and polishing you. That's what he's doing in your life. That's what the Bible tells us. He's never abandoned you. And one of the reasons we know he has not abandoned us is he's given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. What kind of a God who could care less about us would say, you know, I'm not going to give you the Holy Spirit. But if he gave us the Holy Spirit, he's saying, I want to be close to you. I want that relationship with you. I want you to know I am there with you every moment of every day. 
And he is the gift that is within us. He's not outside of us. He's not beside us. That was the old covenant. In the new covenant, he comes to dwell on the inside permanently and cannot be cast out. When the Holy Spirit arrived in his baptism fullness in Acts 2, it's true that he brought a whole variety of things we call spiritual gifts or charisma, charismatic gifts. This is not talking about that. There already have been charismatic gifts that are being displayed in Acts 2, the, the speaking of languages, and we talked about that before. There's a message on that. Just the apostles themselves are both an office and the exercising of the gift of apostleship. You see the prophetic word being given right here, words of encouragement. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about the Holy Spirit himself, God, the third person of the Trinity, being given as a gift to you and me. To live inside of us. He is the gift. John fourteen sixteen. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. That's what he's called. What an amazing gift. What an amazing reality. He said, I know I'm leaving, but I'm going to ask the Father. I'm going to petition the Father to give another blessing to you, to give another thing to you. And that is he, the Holy Spirit himself. What a gift the Holy Spirit is to every believer. He did much more than help them speak in foreign languages, the tongues that we talked about earlier in Acts 2. He is our abiding helper. Another translation for helper is comforter. Another translation for that is the one called alongside each believer, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside literally to be there with you always as your friend, as your helper through everything that you go through in life. Wherever you go in the world, you always have the paraclete with you. You always have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the design is for this covenant. It's a great covenant. That's what the design is for you, that you never feel abandoned. You never feel like an orphan. You never feel forgotten. You never think that you're neglected, that he's always there for you. Read John 14, 26 and John 15, 26 in your time. What a beautiful promise of the coming of the Spirit. He comes to live inside. We call it indwelling of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. That your body now houses the Holy Spirit of God in some mystical way. We don't understand. But your body now is called a temple. And what you do with your body matters because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it needs to act holy in your behavior. Not just now on Sunday, but tomorrow and the next day. Whatever you do in your body needs to be holy because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Holy Spirit's indwelling in you is actually called a seal. You would stamp and seal things that belong to you or that you wanted to exercise ownership over. And so it's God's way of saying, I've stamped you and sealed you. You're mine. I own you. You belong to me. You're my possession. I'm going to take you. That's in Ephesians 1.13. The Holy Spirit reassures us when we begin to doubt that we belong to God. 
We doubt our salvation. We doubt our relationship with God. We wonder about it. And Romans 8, 16 says, the Holy Spirit inside of us bears witness with our spirit. How does that work? I don't know. I don't even really know what my spirit's like on the inside because I never really touched it. It's just kind of inside of us. And then the Holy Spirit's in there. And how does that work? And with our brain and our mind, I have no idea. I just know the answer is the Holy Spirit reassures our spirit. We belong to him. We're one of his. And what comes out of our heart is, Daddy, Abba, Father, and we're able to call out, God, you're my Father, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us everything that we need to understand about apostolic doctrine in our lives. 1 John 2.27 says that we have an anointing from the Holy One, and we don't have anyone to teach us, no need of anyone to teach us. That means outside of the church, the church through the teachings of the apostles and the Holy Spirit helping us to understand and illumine that doctrine and the application of that doctrine. That's all that we need. We have a fully sufficient teacher. We shouldn't be going to the, to the other isms and to the philosophies and to the psychologies to figure ourselves out or to figure out how to be whole and complete people or how to live our lives or how to solve our problems. God is our all-sufficient teacher through the word. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Most wondrous of all, most wondrous of all, is the Holy Spirit communicates to us the very presence of Christ. And I'm going to end with this. In Romans 8 9, do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? He is called, and he has many names. The Holy Spirit is called, and this is precious to me, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. What does that mean? That means more than just that Christ petitioned the Father so the Holy Spirit would come. In the mysteries of the Trinity, the Father relates to the Spirit, the Spirit relates to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, and whatever I missed there. And the three are one. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and he comes to dwell inside of us as a new covenant blessing for conversion that we have, he brings to me, to my life, to you, to your life, the very presence of Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which you taste Christ every single day. He lives inside of you. He's familiar to you. You know him. You love him. Christ wanted to be close to you. He came to you to have his presence with you, inside of you. He did not abandon you. Remember how he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you know how. He is with you inside of you. He indwells you. Christ, through the presence of the Spirit, has come to you, and he's communicated his very presence to you. One day you'll see him in his body, his human body, and his glory as his face shines. As we see in the book of Revelation, his eyes are a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, which has been caused to glow in the furnace. And his face is like the sun shining in its strength, and his head and his hair are white like white wool, like snow. One day you're going to see that. And you're going to bow before him and you're going to get very low before him and you're going to acknowledge his greatness. But right now, the spirit of Christ who converted you is inside of you. He converted you to follow him and he put his spirit inside of you so you could follow him. You see, he took care of everything. He knows everything. Conversion to Christianity, beloved, is beautiful. It's a beautiful and an honorable thing for you to work for the conversion of others. Tell them what they can get. A mountain of forgiveness. Tell them what they can get, the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in their own life. What an amazing, amazing blessing we have as Christians. Most, most blessed of all people on earth. Father in heaven, thank you for these blessings, these covenant blessings, these intractable blessings, these wonderful undeserved gifts. Oh, Father, we pray you would move the heart of anyone 
who still sits on the fence and thinks that they will get anything in the world that is better than this, that they would be able to sing that song, you can have all the world. Just give me Jesus. We pray they would want that in their heart and be converted this very day. And empower your people. Give them great joy when they're out there working for the conversion of others, that they would be bold and their conscience would be not only clear but excited that they, of all people in the world, are the ones that you are using to bring others to the saving knowledge of your Son. Encourage them in their witness in every place they go, Father, in home, in neighborhood, in work, in the commercial world, wherever they have contact with people, wherever they have a sphere of influence, Lord, let them work for this most blessed of all works, the conversion of souls. We've prayed it in Christ's name. Isn't it such a blessing to know that when we became part of the family of God, that we received such great benefits? It's so wonderful to know that your sins have been forgiven, but it's even better to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Having had your sins washed away and now having the Spirit of God in you is the absolute best thing that any of us could ever experience in this life. Have you experienced these benefits of conversion yet? We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443-200-HOPE. We've spent quite a bit of time in this series learning about everything that takes place leading up to conversion. And now, finally, we've dipped into the fruit of conversion. So far, we've learned about the forgiveness of sins and started in on the gift of the Holy Spirit. Join us next time on Discover Hope as Pastor Tom takes us deeper into the topic of receiving the Holy Spirit after having been converted. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.